All right, everybody, welcome back to Newt News. We've got a fully loaded episode for you guys today. So there's been a lot of stuff going on with the Cardinals, some big news that we're going to break soon, uh, especially stuff regarding Matt's, Wainwright, and then some comments Mosaic made in a press conference about this offseason. So lots of stuff to get into there. We've also heard some rumors about Japanese pitchers coming stateside this year, which, as everybody knows, those players can be super impactful. Just look at Shohei Otani. Uh, and then lastly, MLB Pipeline just released their new prospect list. So we're going to get all into that. Um, some important names have jumped, such as Victor Scott. Uh, we're super excited to talk about him. Can't wait to see him in St. Louis. So I guess we're just going to get right into it here. Uh, we're going to start with probably the biggest news of the week, and that's what happened to Steven Matz. So he's coming off a string of excellent starts. I mean, I think it's seven in a row now, seven or eight starts, uh, where he's just been nails. He looks like the guy the Cardinals signed him to be, and now he's hurt again. I think this is his fourth IL stint. Um, Josh, what have you heard about this injury and what it could do for him? Yeah, it's likely he's probably out for the rest of the year. There's a chance he can come back, but I kind of doubt they're going to push him to do that with uh, it being kind of a lost season. Um, but I think um, what I th- I think it tells more about is their offseason plans because if, when even they said before the deadline they were going to go after three starters, which I know we'll talk about that more. To yeah. me, it kind of made sense, but I thought more, why don't you go for two? Because you can have a competition for that fifth spot. Matt's can be the four. And then you yeah. can spend all that money on two guys. But now it makes sense they want to go for three. And I kind of support it because you can't trust the health of Matt's. Michael yeah. sometimes has his own stuff. In general, pitchers just get injured. And so you're really risking having to use two internal options opening day, if not three, if things go poorly. So yeah. I think when we talk about targets, the fact that they're going after three and not two changes the outlook of what kind of guys they could get. Yeah. It doesn't mean they can't go for top-end guys, but it's going to make it difficult to balance how do you get a big name and bring in three free agent arms or trades. Anyways, they'll get creative. So yeah. the main thing is I think it really solidifies they're going to be going after at least three arms this offseason, which is big. Yeah, I think um, it was always pretty evident that they had to go after at least one of the free agent starters. Um, there's a couple of names out there like Nola, Snell, um, and some of those Japanese guys that we talked about um, earlier. Um, but I think this means that they're probably going to have to swing a couple more trades, and we're going to have to see some of uh, those players that we really like um, in that outfield logjam and that infield logjam. They're probably going to have to go um, this offseason. Uh, maybe we do lo- lose like a Nolan Gorman, um, but if we get back like a really big name ace, then I think that should be pretty much worth it. Um, it's going to be tough, though. Uh, definitely uh, going to be tough. But three starting pitchers is definitely what we wanted to see. Even if um, even if we had Matt and Michaelis fully healthy, and we had another internal option in like Liberator, um, having having three guys is definitely what we what we needed to see for that uh, depth. Yeah. I mean, it, it just coming into this year, the Cardinals said that they had pitching depth, but I would say this is the least depth we've seen them enter a season with in a long time. I mean, even six starters doesn't begin to touch the amount of depth. The Cardinals had a lot of years, especially in the late 2010s uh, when we'd see them enter with four or five established starters and then five plus guys who could all vie for another role. Uh, and so that meant the Memphis shuttle was going back and forth all season long. And even guys like Cody Whitley, guys like, um, you know, Tyler Webb, who never really established themselves as dudes in St. Louis, they were still there for depth and they were a lot better than the depth we've had this year. Yeah. So, um, you know, 
it's it's good that the Cardinals are going out looking for established starters, and it doesn't mean there aren't going to be roles for all these guys who are already here, such as Hudson, Librator, McGreevy. It just means that they're going to serve as depth, which is something the Cardinals have desperately missed. But I think more importantly, this is devastating for Steven Matz. I've called myself the conductor of the Steven Matz hype train <laughs> before. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I've been doing, you know, scheduled appreciation posts for him recently. Um, and this is just, this really sucks for Steven. Uh, he's had such a hard time staying healthy. His debut in St. Louis was so bad um, that it really colored fans' opinions of him within two hours of his time as a Cardinal. Uh, even though he was able to right the ship after that, by the time he was hurt again, the narrative was Steven Matz sucks. Steven Matz can't stay healthy. Um, you know, then he takes that comebacker off of his, I believe his knee in his first start back. And it's like, wow, another freak injury. Um, now here we are again, Steven Matz probably having the best two month stretch, maybe of his career. Uh, and again, lands on the IL. I think whether he comes back this year, um, will determine how fans think of him over the off season. That really could determine how, um, you know, his tenure in St. Louis is viewed. So I think he bought a lot of leeway in the last two months and that all goes away, um, because of an injury, which really just sucks for Steven. Um, So, yeah, I just, you know, can't say enough how disappointed I am for him. I hope we see him back. Uh, But, you know, the nice thing is he's proven that he's a very valuable bullpen asset if that's where he is next year. So, and I I would still, it still seems like the plan is not going to be let's go get a starter to replace some mats in the rotation. The plan would be let's have five starters, the fifth guy, like Mm -hmm. you bring in three of Mats and Michaelis, and Mats only loses his his spots if he blows up in the spring or gets injured again. Yeah, um, and something to know too is like even with how bad his 2022 is, he made 10 starts overall. Six of them, he went at least five innings and gave up three or fewer runs. Yeah. Like he was actually good in most of his starts. Two of the he had two blow up starts where he was like just bad, and then two starts where he got hurt in them and it went poorly too. And so like he actually like when you like the when you have that like few starts, your numbers can get really inflated by one or two bad starts. He actually pitched pretty well. And then mm-hmm. the start of the season went poorly for him. So the one, not that we any of us expect him to have a sub two ERA as a Cardinal, but like the match we've been seeing lately is more of like the high end we should expect in like a low fours, high threes ERA is what you should get. And that's great for a number four starter. So you're right. This really does suck for him. <clears throat> again, I doubt we see him again this year, but I would be shocked if he's not in the 2024 rotation, um, barring injury. Yeah, even in uh, 2022, his FIP was 3.78, which is only one point higher than it was this year, 3.77. So um, he's his expected numbers are great. He had some pretty bad luck last year. I think he's pretty overhated by fans, myself included. Yeah. I, I admit that I, I wasn't the biggest Steven Matz fan like three months ago. But yeah, he's shown me that um, he can he can really do it. Um, and it sucks to see that he's injured and hopefully he's back um, next year and is just as good as he was this year. And in 2022, honestly, yeah, he sneakily has some swing and miss. So, like, that's something that, like, if fans are looking for that, the back end of the rotation, like, Matt's is the like whoever the equivalent the Cardinals would bring in is going to have about as much swing and miss as Steven Matt's does. Or if they have more, it's because they've had like a five ERA their whole career and no one trusts them. So, like, Matt's has, I've overhated him too. Like, there's been parts where I'm like, why did you give another middling, like, mid tier free agent contract? But, like, 11 million a year for that kind of production is great value on the open market. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you can find young guys who do that, but, like, that's why it takes it's that's why it's so hard to trade for them because when you find one like that, no one wants to give up a guy who makes a sub a million dollars and gives you Steven Matt's production. That's incredible value. 
Yeah. I mean, you look at other guys who entered the offseason with kind of similar vibes, at least maybe not the same type of pitcher like Tyone and Mats. I'm not going to pretend they're the same guy. Tyone doesn't have the swing and miss. Mats has has been a better uh, has been better at keeping it in the park over his career. But I mean, they're both high three, low four ERA guys. And that's what you're really looking for in a five. Tyone's getting almost double what Mats is getting. You know, he's 18 a year for the next three years since the deal's backloaded. And Bassett is getting paid 21 million a year. I mean, Mats has been a lot better than both those guys uh, in 2023. And honestly, in 2022, he just gave up a bunch of home runs early in the year and then really tamped down on that. So, you know, we got to move on from Mats, unfortunately. I could talk about him all day um, <laughs> as the conductor of the hype train. Um, but I guess the next news we're going to talk about here, um, more downer, is Adam Wainwright, right? So Adam Wainwright's last two starts have been, in a word, dreadful. Uh, the results are just not what you want to see, especially from a franchise icon. Um, it's led to some ridiculous stuff on social media, people saying things that just don't need to be said. Um, but at the end of the day, the Cardinals are now realizing that they do have to reconcile with this. Uh, and I know, Josh, we have some interesting thoughts here. Yeah. So first, like I want to, you said something here too that's really important is the the hate for Wainwrights getting yeah. obnoxious and like mm-hmm. you can be upset and frustrated by the production, but I don't understand why it gets to these depths of people that like calling out his character and calling out the kind of person he is it's just i feel like it's leaving a really bad taste in the mouth of a guy who's been a stand-up one of the best people in all of baseball so that annoys me and i get frustrated by it um but yeah so as of talking to some people and it's closer to the situation the last few days um you may have seen casey lawrence a right-handed pitcher that the cardinals picked up on a minor league deal from the blue jays kind of under the radar about a month ago he was just called up today and Marmol talked about how he's going to bring some length um, out of the bullpen in case they need someone to bring some more innings, a la a one or two inning pit or inning pitch start from Wainwright. But after Wainwright start Thursday, they will reevaluate his spot in the rotation. If it goes poorly, Casey Lawrence is the next guy that goes into the rotation. Not Michael McGreevy, not Gordon Graceffo, not Connor Thomas, not uh, Ron, like any of those guys right now. It will be. Uh, well, Casey Lawrence, and part of the reasoning behind that, you could, what you would de- deduct from that, um, it doesn't mean he would stay in the rotation. It could even just be like a one-start thing, um, or he could be the plan for now, and it could change. Um, but right now, Connor Thomas is probably the only other option on the forty-man roster, and he's not been good. And yeah. he just came back from the IL and hasn't been throwing much, so it doesn't make a ton of sense bringing him in. And if they were to bring in a McGreevy or Graceffo or someone like that, they'd have to add them to the 40-man. And the problem is then you go to this offseason, and assuming their plan is not to have any of those guys in the rotation, then there might come a spot where they have to squeeze the 40-man, and they're taking up a spot. And so if they know for a fact that they're not planning to have any of them in the rotation, especially if they're not even going to plan to have a competition for that fifth role, it doesn't make a ton of sense to add them to the 40-man unless they think there's a way they could play themselves into it. So it's annoying, but like when you're a bad team, kind of sometimes throw out bad players because you don't have to use 40-man spots for other guys. If they're in contention right now, I bet it's Graceffo or McGreevy or someone like that because they have to try something, but they're yeah. not. So if Wainwright, I don't think they also make this change either if Wainwright's even just bad. Like I think it's like if it falls off the rails bad and they just yeah. can't run him out for another start, it's Casey Lawrence. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I looked at Casey Lawrence's numbers. I'd never even heard of him. I didn't even know that the Cardinals had had him in their system for like a month. 
he's just terrible. Um, unfortunately, career negative 1.6 war, so he's never been a productive player. 6.80 ERA with a 1.73 whip. It's just all like just dreadful numbers. At this point, like you might as well just run Wayno back out there, even if he's like the worst pitcher you've ever seen, because this guy is just not. He's just not worth it. Um, I, my rationale for keeping Wayno out of the rotation before was like, you got to give one of the young guys an opportunity to develop and show that they can be a part of the rotation next year. I guess that's not really in the plans. Um, if we're going with the three starters that we're going to go after in the off season, um, it's just not a great look. If you start Casey Lawrence every, every five days, at least the fans like Wayno at least most of them, the ones who haven't like turned against him. But um, like, I don't know, this, this move doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And I think it would be better to just let one of those guys play. Cause if, even if you do add starters in the off season, I'm looking at the 40 men right now, there's guys that are expendable, like Kyle Leahy. I don't really know what he's doing on the 40 man. Like he's been pretty bad his entire time. Um, I, I'm just not really sure, sure what this guy's doing on the roster. Yeah, yeah, they definitely have 40-man spots they can free up. So I don't think it's like, I'm not like, that's the best argument mm, in the world, yeah. but that would be their reasoning. And I could kind of get it because if they do make significant roster overhaul this offseason, they could be adding like, hopefully not just three names to the 40-man. Hopefully you're adding five, six, seven, eight. And then that's when it starts to squeeze a lot. And so that's where I kind of think. And like Alehi, like, yeah, he's never going to be your eighth or sixth in, in guy, but like, you don't usually want your last guy in the bullpen to be someone you see a big future in because you want the pitching a lot. And so usually it is kind of like a Leahy type guy who's like, whatever, we'll throw him out there and mop up duty. So like there is a little bit more Tetris to the 40 man than we give him credit for. But yeah, I agree. It's just, I if Lawrence is in the rotation, I'm going to be like, whatever, every start. It's like, yeah, what are we doing? But it's whatever. I think my frustration with this comes from the fact that there are other guys on the 40 man, like Zach Thompson, who's not in the yeah. rotation yet. And we're clamoring to see more of him. He might be in the rotation now. So he's replacing Steven Matz. Oh, so that, okay. I think if he wasn't yeah, replacing Steven Matz, then I would totally be like, why isn't Thompson getting the but, rotation? But so, Drew Rahm is still on the 40 man. Yeah, and that's a good point. I have no idea why he's not getting called up because Rahm was excellent in his debut. You know, 10 strikeouts, five innings. That's strikeout stuff. He has strikeout stuff. He's shown Great it. In Norfolk. Now the results this year haven't been awesome, but like, I, I don't know. I think it's more interesting than Lawrence. I, I think yeah. the Cardinals are so rarely a bad team that we never get this chance at the end of the season to just say, what do we have here? Yeah. We never get the chance to actually give young guys like exposure guys who wouldn't normally get it. And I think that really benefits somebody like Rom who might've stalled out at the AAA level and now gets a chance for new life in a new organization and you can show him that you have immediate trust in him by putting him up here right away. I think that'd be really interesting play. Um, but you know, it's the same stuff that I've been pounding home with the modern and Palacios argument where there's no reason why Palacios isn't in the modern role right now. He's on the 40 man, he's in AAA, and yet we see modern day after day after day. And it's just ridiculous, but you know, the Cardinals are making some baffling decisions here. I get the 40 man thing. Um, I'd rather just not have Modder on the roster right now. So at least they show us the intention is to have and have an open spot on the 40 man. And yeah. the intention is to move these guys, you know? Yeah. So. And that's a great part about Rom, a point about Rom too. He already is on the 40 man. And like to your point about the young guys, like a Matthew Libertor is a good example of someone that yeah. uh, he had some like 
not great minor league times as well, but like yeah. it's clear that him getting beat up in the major leagues ended up helping him turn a corner and helping him yeah. see like, oh, I need to make adjustments because this isn't going to play at the major league level. And so like a guy like Drew Rom could come up and blow up in a few starts, but then over the offseason changes a fastball shape or yeah. ditches a pitch from his arsenal. And then he's actually able to contribute next year when if he doesn't get that experience now, then you're figuring that out next year and you're just putting yourself a year behind. Yeah. So there's a really good base, best baseball and podcast interview with Derek Bolt did with someone from the Rays. And it just talks a lot about how they view their pitching and how they develop pitching versus the Cardinals. And it's, this is just another example of how the Cardinals have fallen behind the times when it comes to pitching development. So we'll see. I mean, for next year, if they really want to free up a 40-man spot for a pitcher, I know there's a limit on how many pitchers you have. There's one pitcher uh, that's available next offseason who's available as a position player, um, and you don't have to take up a pitcher roster spot for him. So. <laughs> Are you talking about Alec Burleson? He's, yeah, he's uh, awesome. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he's, he, I love I, Big Burley. <laughs> I feel like every time Bueno makes a start, he also comes in in relief, which is uh, not great. <laughs> Andrew, that's so brutal. <laughs> Well, I really I I do really hope Wayno gets a chance to hit again this year. Like, yeah, if 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 it's his last start, make him like the DH two. Why are we not doing that? Yeah, I mean, who cares at this point? Like, especially if we go down big. I mean, if we're in the game, hey, let's get Wayno win one ninety nine. Yeah. Okay, how do we feel about this plan? Really quickly, I just want to throw this out here. A little bit radical. I don't know if Wayno would ever say yes to this plan, but like seriously. Why not use him as a piggyback guy if you remove him from the rotation, right? Like if the starter doesn't go five innings, technically it's the scorer's discretion, but almost every time the win goes to whoever comes in next. I remember Oviedo got pulled with like a five run lead once uh, at, after he'd gone four and two thirds, because this was when I was convinced that Schilt hated Oviedo. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a personal vendetta. It had to be. So like, why not do that with Wainwright? You know, I mean, it's a little cheap, but hey, the Cardinals have vultured plenty of wins from him anyway. We saw him do it in Arizona where we ended up getting the win and they blew it for Wayno. Mm -hmm. So like, I, I don't know. I think it'd be really interesting. At least it would. I mean, that situation is bound to come up twice before the end of the year where the Cardinals have like a four or five run lead in the fourth inning. Like it, it's going to happen again. Yeah. So. And it works with how they've structured the rotation right now. Like Thompson, yeah. you probably can't. He's probably not going to go six innings for the next few yeah. starts because he's just not stretched out enough. And then Lawrence, I don't think you expect to go deep in the game. So yeah. I, I could see that as a scenario. I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows what they're going to do if they pull him. I don't. They could send him on the IL again. That yeah. could be it. That could be his last pitch ever. I would hope. I would be down for a piggyback because why not at this point? At this point, you're just fishing for 200 wins. So, like, that's how I see it. However, you're going to get them, get them. Like, who cares? Yeah. Like, I'd rather it be that than him give up seven runs in five innings and somehow got the win. Like, yeah. Who cares about that either? Yeah. I mean, just imagine the score deems him like brief and inefficient or whatever they, it was yesterday. Like, I didn't even know. No. I, I knew that was a thing, but I didn't, I've never seen it before yesterday. It's just, yeah. Uh, yeah, the birthday boy, just to touch on that quickly, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, the birthday boy, Giovanni Gallegos, yesterday, uh, really had just a rough day, right? So Gallegos shows up to the clubhouse, walks in, the WBC trophy is there, which if, you know, those of you who followed the WBC might recall, uh, the Japan-Mexico semifinal game, Gallegos blew it, um, was the reason Mexico did not advance to the final. I mean, pretty much like the reason there. Um, so the trophy's there looking him in, in the face, and then he comes into pitch, 
and blows it against Oakland. Um, but the Cardinals get back and they take the lead with him as the pitcher of record. And then the score, because the official score can really do whatever they want in Major League Baseball, which I don't think a lot of people really understand how much power they have. They then decide that Gallegos was, and I quote, brief and inefficient or brief and ineffective, maybe. That's yeah, what it is. It, yeah, brief and ineffective. Brief and ineffective. So he doesn't get the win and they just give it to Romero. No save, a win for JoJo. So that's just so brutal on his birthday. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, too, because in that same game, people pointed to the Jordan Walker triple. That was definitely just an error. But, like, they've seen an increase this year in the amount of balls that, like, should be called errors that are not called errors. They're doubles and triples, and that's all the scorer's decision on that. So it's funky stuff that only baseball people care about. But, like, Geo gets, yeah, takes the, gets the win taken away. Didn't he get a blown save, too? Yeah, or um, something. You can't give them both. That's yeah. so. I, I can't remember. Someone I saw that somewhere. I didn't check it, but I was like, "How?" But I think it was our twenty fifth blown save of the season. Oh, yeah. yikes! It is just. It has just been like that year for the Cardinals in every mm-hmm. possible way. But yeah, no. For some reason, like outfield errors just aren't errors anymore. Um, Apparently, across. I think what I heard from somebody though is that the pitching clock could be to blame for that because. Huh. Apparently they don't have enough time, so the official score just is ruling stuff as hits, and they're just like, "Oh, that's a hit! You get a hit! You get a hit!" Interesting. Um, so maybe that's what it is. But yeah, we got to rein it in a little bit. <laughs> Having too much fun on here. Um, we're going to also talk a little bit about two Japanese pitchers uh, who are coming stateside this year. Probably. I mean, you never know for sure until the off season, but it seems like these guys are going to be posted. Um, it's a little bit of a complicated process, but you know. Um, Josh, why don't you fill us in on who those two are? Yeah, so um, I the only two I've really heard linked to them at all would be, um, and I don't know if I'm totally saying his name correctly on this one, so Shota Amaniga, is that correct, I think? I think it's and Imanaga, then Yamamoto, but yeah. Imamaga, and then Yamamoto yeah. would be the other one mm. that people hey. know about. Um, Im- Imaniga, is that what you said it was again? Uh, it's Imanaga, I think. I'm, 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 I'm not 100% I'm so bad that. names if I ever say a name wrong the first time I say it wrong every time um, but he's the one that they've actually went out and scouted before back in June that was reported um, and he seems like more of someone that would be in the price range because he's probably looking more at a 15 million dollar a year over four years type of deal um, I think the issue with him is that he has to be posted by um, his team and so that's not a guarantee but I think he's a free agent this year too so it actually makes sense for them to post him like within the the league and so um, it's kind of complicated but they think he'll be posted so he's a lefty um, that probably projects as more of a number three at best four or more of a four or five type starter Um, but he brings a lot of swing and miss and uh, I believe he pitched in the world baseball classic as well um, yeah, in the championship game, and looked really well. Um, so he's a guy that, <clears throat> especially as the Cardinals looking at three starters, number one, you're hoping it's someone higher on the end of that. Um, yeah. He's someone that could bring some swing and miss. Um, he won't require a draft pick either to sign, which is a big deal. Um, he's 30, or he will be 30, so that's um, not, he's not like a 35, 36 range like some of these starters will be. So he's the one I would say is the most actually directly linked, and then someone that's been like, like, linked as in like it makes sense as Yamamoto um I don't know Andrew or Sandy if you guys have seen other things or but it seems like baseball's kind of cooled off on Yamamoto as of late 
um i used to see him as like a, oh he's like in the in the class of aaron nola blake snell and then Yamamoto's the oh. other but lately it seemed like he's like people are thinking he's a really good number three not like a number one or two um again i haven't seen a pitch enough to make that declaration for myself um but if that's true that's another guy that probably price himself into the cardinals range more he's also a lot younger though so that's like there might be a higher ceiling there than what you're getting with someone else so I think those are definitely two names to watch because they're going after three. They're they're going to have to be creative about one of them, and I think going after one of the Japanese arms makes a lot of sense. So uh, thoughts, guys, on that at all? Yeah, I'm really high on Yamamoto. Um, he currently has a 1.57 ERA and a 0.88 whip um, this year um, in the Japanese league. I know those numbers okay. aren't – it's not going to be that um, in the majors, but – that's like really, really good. I don't think we've really seen these kinds of numbers from any of the other pitchers that have really come over. Even like Shohei Otani wasn't that good in the mm-hmm. Japanese leagues. Um, he's, I think, I think he's won back-to-back triple crowns in Japan, and he's about to. He's on pace to win another one, and I think he'd, he'd be the first pitcher over there, and maybe ever to to do that. Um, he's really really good um and he's i think 24 years old so um you develop that um into something really good in the majors like this guy is this guy is crazy um and i think some of the major league teams might be undervaluing him a little bit i think he's worth a really big contract i know a lot of uh baseball fans know about rookie sasaki he's really exciting he throws like 103 miles an hour unfortunately he's not available um to come to the u.s for another like three four years He's like 21. He's really young. The rules over there are really complicated on when you can be posted and the amount of money you can make. I think only Otani was the Otani was like the only pitcher that came over um, while he was really young because pitchers who come over um, or players who come over when they're really young, they um, lose out on a bunch of money, a potential big contract because they have to sign like a minor league deal over here. Um, but Yamamoto, um, I think he's worth a really big contract. Um, it, it would be a big risk because Japanese pitchers can often like fall off in the in the big leagues. It's not entirely sure how how well they'll play, but I think this guy sh- should be one of the most can't miss guys coming over from Japan. He's really exciting. Yeah, Andrew, I'm confused a little bit too about why he's not valued higher by other teams because I'm looking like I've looked at that stuff too, and he's been top of the league for multiple years in the Japanese league. I think if I'm going to point out one thing, it's probably his K rate isn't, I mean, it's like under 10, which I think that I mean, with the kind of stuff he has, you, you might worry that like, it's almost like Dustin May where it's like, he's got elite yeah. stuff, but why doesn't he strike out more people? So I wonder if they think if he comes over to the majors, that K rate might drop even more yeah. and then he's more hittable, but he still seems like at worst a three with higher upside, but may, and maybe that's some, posturing by major league teams trying to get his market to go down so you never really know with stuff like that yeah i mean what stuck out to me most with what you just said was the low whip i think that's something that does translate because that means there's good control uh you can throw strikes in the japanese league you can throw strikes here um you know a pitcher who's wild over there like fujinami probably is going to come over here and be pretty wild uh you know so i think that's probably the thing that we can count on translating the most and it's something the Cardinals have struggled with over the last few years. So um, that's really interesting to me. Let's get a guy who doesn't walk anybody. Uh, you know, those pitchers, you fill up the zone, uh, generally good things happen. So I would be, I would love for the Cardinals to be in on a guy like that. 
just briefly, I want to go over a bit of, you know, the Cardinals history in terms of getting pitchers recent history in terms of getting pitchers out of um, some of the Asian leagues, right? So KBO, uh, the Nippon League, we've seen them resurrect the careers of Miles Michaelis. Drew Verhagen came over while he hasn't been great. He's had moments where it looks like, wow, Drew Verhagen might be a really competent pitcher. I'm really upset because I know he's going to be a free agent and he's going to go somewhere and be like a competent fifth starter next year. And it's going to drive me up a wall, but whatever. And then Kwang Yun Kim was a fantastic Cardinal who never got the appreciation he really deserved. Um, and I think COVID just made it kind of a weird environment for him. I know he was, he was really homesick while he was here. Um, but he and Miles Michaelis, I think, are obvious success stories. So the Cardinals have had a successful history recently um, in terms of, you know, mining talent from those leagues. And I feel like in general, the the hit rate's gone up on those guys. Oh, where wow. like I feel like if you look in the early two thousands, like it was almost kind of like even like the NBA, where international guys for a long time they're always overhyped and ended up being terrible. Yeah, like Drogic. Yeah, but it's like now it's like you, they they've got a better. I feel like they have a better pulse on how to evaluate that talent. It's not that you can't miss on them. So I feel like I'm less stressed out about going after one of those guys nowadays. Seeing it translate more often. Yeah. Because you don't want to get Yusei Kikuchi and sign him to like a six or seven year deal like the Mariners did and then really struggle under the weight of that deal because obviously that didn't work. Although he's been a little better recently. Uh, he's actually been really good this year. So maybe, maybe you know, that like you said, the hit rate probably is a lot higher. Speaking of Andrew, you brought up Shohei earlier and you said the Mariners. I'm seeing or hearing right now the Mariners are the front runner. Again, this is way early, but that the Mariners are the team to watch for Shohei. Hey, I, I, we take that. We take that. I mean, no, as long no, as it's I not don't, the Dodgers. Why? Why not? I would rather that than the Dodgers. Yeah. Well, for I mean, sure. I want him to stay out of the National League, obviously, but like my yeah. roommate's a Mariners fan, <laughs> and it, it's so brutal. <laughs> he's, yeah. Like, he's whatever. He's like the most Homer Mariners fan I've ever met. <laughs> it was so rough. I the think King the League stuff, for example, was driving him insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do think one way it could play into the Cardinals' favor is that I think that's the one scenario they could actually trade a starter is if they brought in Shohei. Like they might make, uh, like I met they they may be willing to eat some money on Robbie Ray, which I think could be a really interesting buy low if you eat if you eat money on him. Um, I doubt they trade Castillo or and definitely not trade Kirby. Yeah. Um, but I, I doubt they trade Gilbert either. But I think that makes like a Wu or a Bryce Miller more available. I'm hearing way cold on the Mariners right now. Like they're not trading starters. Like yeah. not happening. Like that was a thought this summer, but they're gonna address hitting by not getting rid of their pitching. And but, I'm also hearing that about the Cardinals bats. I don't think they're gonna give up Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, Lars yeah. Navar. I think they will try. If they trade for a pitcher, it's gonna be a back end guy using Tyler O'Neill or whoever Dylan Carlson to get that arm. I don't think they're going to give up their big bats unless like, a, like the world, the stars align and someone really wants to give up a starter. They really value then yeah. they will, but it doesn't really seem like teams want to give up the young pitching that would make it worth it to give up one of those bats. Yeah. It'd be like a Dylan cease that would probably require the Cardinals <laughs> to move. Yeah. Somewhere. But Which, I mean, that, that could be possible. I've heard yeah. they've checked in on him before. So that like, would be great. He'd be my top ad, but interestingly, what you said about the Mariners I think the Mariners and Cardinals situation, people keep comparing it. They say the Cardinals can't develop pitching. The Mariners can't develop hitting. I just don't think of it that way. I think the Cardinals have developed a lot of pitching. We've seen that pitching go elsewhere and succeed, but we've seen that pitching succeed here too. It's just, they haven't developed the true ace that they want, but Flaherty's been that guy at times. Like it looked like Luke Weaver might be that guy at times. They got a ton of value for him, obviously when he was shipped out, 
So I think the situations are different. I think the Cardinals pitching pipeline is much, much better than the Mariners hitting pipeline. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there's so many interesting names in the Cardinals system pitching wise right now, especially crowding at the lower levels, you know, guys like Jerpy, um, Hansen, uh, Bedell, guys that, you know, a lot of us are really high on. So I think at least for the Cardinals, it's like if they refuse to trade those bats, it's not the end of the world. I don't see why the Mariners wouldn't trade one of their starters because they have not shown any capability to develop anyone offensively outside of Julio Rodriguez, who I think would have thrived in any organization based on that talent level. Yeah. It almost feels like the Cardinals getting ripped for the pitching development is more sins of the past right now, where it's like yes. they've messed up development wise in 2018, 2019, 2020. Yes. And so now they're like, they don't have anyone to show for right now, but the guys that they do have coming up can resurrect that and make that better. Oh. Um, and like Derek Gold put in his chat recently, so I have to go find it, but there's some interesting staffing moves that happened um, in the like when the um, Jeff Lunho left and some people yeah. went to the Astros, that they la- they la- lost some player development guys that were helpful for developing all those early 2010s pitching that they saw. So they used to be ahead of the times. Now they fall way behind. It seems like they're getting back on track. But it's it, that doesn't happen overnight. It takes oh, multiple yeah. years. So they might feel this pang. They felt it the last two years. They felt it this year. They might feel a little more next year. But I think 2025 and beyond is where you can start to see it really be back in track. Yeah, the moment Tank debuts in St. Louis, you know, all sense oh, yeah. for that guy's. <laughs> I'm still high on Cooper Jerpy too. I think he yeah. could be really good, but he's got to get healthy. So we'll see. Mm. Andrew, is there anybody outside of those two Japanese pitchers that you think the Cardinals should really be targeting this offseason? And we've had some conversations about stuff like that. Um, I mean, Aaron Nola was a guy I was pretty high on. Like a couple months ago, I looked at his numbers uh, recently. He's kind of trailed off. Um, he's age, uh, entering his age 31 season, and he's had the probably the worst year of his career in terms of strikeout-wise, ERA-wise, since his rookie season. So I feel like if we sign Aaron Nola, like, yeah, it's probably going to be a pretty good deal for us for a couple of years, but it could end up turning into like a David Price situation where we avoided someone who was entering their decline. And I don't really know how that's going to hold up. Um, he he is um, like probably exiting his prime pretty soon. And I don't really know how much he's probably going to command a lot more than some of those Japanese guys who are really young. And yeah, it's it's definitely going to be tough. Um, you said I can't talk about Japanese guys, so I won't. Um, but <laughs> uh, Blake Snell is another guy that I think uh, we could go after. Um, he walks a lot of guys. He doesn't need innings. I think that's a that's a big problem uh, for the Cardinals. Um, oh yeah. I, my overall issue with this whole offseason is, in terms of free agent pitchers, there's really not that many guys you can go after. There's like four guys that are high end that I think are are really good that could be in play. Urias is another guy, but he has his own personal issues that I think the Cardinals yeah. will avoid. Um, but it's it's going to be really tough. I think they might have to to swing a couple of trades. I know Josh, you just said that, that they're not going to part with Donovan or Gorman, but I mean, the market is pretty thin for starting pitching this season. If you don't also want a guy who hits 40 home runs a year. And I don't think it's impossible. They trade one of those young bats, especially with how thin the hitting market is. Like some teams may turn to the Cardinals and be like, okay, we'll pay for the bats. So there, I, I think it's just kind of where they stand right now. They'd ideally like to go into 2024 with all those guys intact. But especially, I think there's just a lot of dominoes need to fall. Like if yeah. 
they don't can't sign one of the top guys, they might be forced to. Or if Wilson Contreras, they are like, hey, you're going to DH a lot more. Like, there's not really a need to have that many bats because you really don't have the playing time for them. So yeah. it can it can vary on things. I do think like the three guys you could say like could be your ace, even though people are cooling on Yamamoto. I think that's one guy, and then Snell Nola makes sense from a realistic standpoint for the Cardinals. And then I think like. I think the tier two is kind of interesting. Like I, I'm a big Sony Gray guy right now. Oh I'm yeah, actually, yeah, I think he would be a great number two starter. Um, Absolutely. So if they end up with one of Nolan Snell or Yamamoto, they get Gray, and then they bring in like James Paxton, or they trade for Jose Quintana, and the Mets eat a bunch of his money. Or you like Big Q, they uh, just like get that. someone like that. I think that's an interesting rotation transformation. Like, Absolutely. No one can expect them to be like the Mets and go out and get two aces like that just they can't do that yeah. but they they can realistically get one frontline guy one quality number two who might be more of a number three but like can play up and then a five like I think that's realistic Sonny Gray for a long time for me has been somebody who the league soured on really early you know he went to the yeah. Yankees got stuck in a big market I mean in Oakland Sonny Gray was a dude right Sonny Gray was somebody who a lot of teams viewed as a future ace goes to the Yankees and then they traded him to Cleveland or not Cleveland, Cincinnati for like nothing. And in Cincinnati, Sonny Gray was one of the best pitchers in the NL and he got no no press there. I remember in 2019 when Jack Flaherty was having his run, um, I was arguing with people about the fact that Sonny Gray might've been the best pitcher in the division that year. Most people weren't even recognizing him as the best pitcher on his own team. So I've been high on Gray for a long time. I would love to see him in a Cardinals uniform. I think he's, Got a lot of potential. I've seen some tidbits about at the All-Star game, he said he wants to be closer to home. I forget where home is for him, but it's apparently closer to St. Louis than it is even uh, Minnesota. That's good. Um, so, like, there's some random tea leaves there that kind of seem like they could connect them. And also, like, people just don't think about it enough. Great American Ballpark is a terrible place to pitch. So, if you're, yeah. like, if you're pitching great there, that's why, like, a Castillo goes off and, like, he looked really good with the Reds, but then he looked even better with the Mariners. It's like, give this guy a better ballpark to pitch in and he's going to pitch well. So yeah, Gray, I think is a great option for them. When one more thing about Gray, the the statistic he led the league in, in 2019, when I thought he deserved a lot more Cy Young consideration was hits per nine. Now that's something that the Cardinals this year are just awful at preventing, right? The Cardinals pitchers, they walk a lot of guys, but not as many as some people. They don't have the least strikeouts, right? But it's like the amount of hits the Cardinals give up. It's singles that find holes. It's soft liners. And it's like sometimes, you know, you get, I get so upset watching the game when this soft contact crap falls in. But it's like maybe it is a skill to prevent it. And that's something Sonny Gray throughout his career has actually been really good at. For some reason, he runs low batting average against numbers. And so if you can bring that to St. Louis, that's someone who is a huge rotation upgrade over a guy like Hudson who traditionally has not been able to do that. Yeah, and it looks like right now he leads the league in home runs per nine at point yep. three. So like, and that's not like he's had a couple of years where it's been above one, but he's been below one a lot. So he prevents home runs. You give him Bush Stadium, that helps even more. Yep, I really like the fit, and he's probably more of like a three years for twenty million a year. That's that's affordable. Yeah, yeah guess that'd who leads be, all of the? Fun. Guess who leads the entire league in hits per nine this year? Don't say it. Okay. Um. <laughs> No, 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 I'm I'm a big proponent <laughs> of trading for trading back for Jose Quintana. I, I really like him. Um, I think he hasn't given up a home run in like eighty something consecutive innings or something. I saw that stat somewhere. 
Um, he's still been really good this year, and he obviously likes it um, with the Cardinals. I think he was one of the people that recommended that Contreras should sign here. Um, so yeah. he likes the organization, and I think bring him back if the Mets eat some of that money. Even if they don't, I think they're only paying him like $11, 13000000 million next year. Yeah. Should be a good One deal. more name I'd potentially throw out is like a Tyler Blast now because I don't think yes. he's going to take a ton to get because his contract's so high, his injury history, and – I do think there's a scenario where the Rays hold on to him because of all their pitching injuries, but at the same time, I feel like they'd rather part with him and sign three guys for that number because with their situation banking on $25 million to a guy who could be hurt half the year, they can't afford to do that. The Cardinals might have to risk that. Like, There's a difference. Obviously, it's not ideal, but like, if you strike out Nolan Snell and Yamamoto, uh, at this point, if you're giving up, Alec Burleson, like, I mean, you want to keep him, but like, if you're not giving up one of your big bats and you're getting a talent like class now, it could make it worth it. So I think that's another name to watch as like a potential frontline guy if things don't work out in other areas. How do we feel about Frankie Montas here? I have not yeah. heard his name at all this year. He hasn't pitched yet, um, but Frankie showed actual high-end talent in Oakland. At, at several different times was really good before the trade to the Yankees. I mean, Sonny Gray had his struggles in New York. A lot of people go to New York. Joey Gallo went to New York and just forgot how to play baseball. Like, I mean, it happens in New York. Um, I have thought Montas could be a guy who you get on like a buy low, prove a deal, maybe like a Ren or a, a Rodon light type of scenario. Um, I think he could be a guy who you could really get three years, $21 million. Like he might have to take that contract. He might not get anything better than that. And if you're paying him $7 million and he is what he was in the beginning of 2022, that might be one of the best value plays in all of baseball next year. Yeah. I think if you can get him on a really cheap deal, it makes sense, yeah. but he's only made over 20 starts once in his career. Obviously the COVID years, he, so he hasn't had a lot of experience, but like he's, obviously free agent eligible now and he only made more than 16 starts or he got sorry he made he made over 20 starts twice he made it in 2022 before he got hurt and then um 2021 so i think he's a great buy low candidate uh, one-year deal or some kind of like low aav multi-year deal that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah i mean maybe a, it's like the verhagen deal but a bit bigger sorry you're up andrew yeah <laughs> yeah he was a guy that i definitely didn't want the cardinals training for last offseason or not last trade deadline I was like, he's probably going to get hurt. He had some injury history. But if we pay him pretty much nothing, which is like what you've suggested, I don't see why not. Like he's shown that he can be a, like a two caliber pitcher if we get what we it, what he did in uh, 2021 and 2022. That's really, really good. Um, and like Sonny Gray, he forgot how to pitch with the Yankees, but that park is kind of annoying to pitch in. There's a, a short yeah. porch in, in right field and – I mean, the fans over there are a little bit, um, a little bit weird. So, I feel like if if we give him a deal, um, he might thrive. Similar to Sonny Gray, Joey Gallo have done well in other places. Like, I think struggling with the Yankees is not necessarily as big of a deal as as um, Yankee fans make it make it out to be. Yeah, they kind of pile on too. Like, yeah. if you've heard the Joey Gallo stories, no wonder he wasn't producing there. I don't think they were exactly creating an environment where he could. So. I don't know. That's an interesting name. The Yankees have other young arms. Um, we've explored that a little bit. I think a development for the Cardinals that hasn't been talked about enough lately is what Dylan Carlson's injury means for them this offseason. I mean, that value, 
anything that was left probably out the window at this point in terms of what Carlson can fetch you in a trade. Like I think before the deadline, we were talking about Carlson probably being worth Schmidt and more from the Yankees. Now you probably have to package Carlson just to get Schmidt. So yeah. I don't even know. They'll probably hold on to him the same reason they're holding on to O'Neill now, which puts the Cardinals in a really weird spot. Yeah, it's hard because it's I've heard and seen that teams of around the league still value Carlson, but no one's going to give the value that they think he's actually could be, like because he just hasn't yeah. shown it. <clears throat> so yeah, it's, they're in that weird situation with Tyler before where it's like, eh, is he going to reach it again? I don't know, but you don't yeah. want to sell too low because you don't want to have a Randy Rosarina thing. And I'm sorry, I like Dylan Carlson a lot. He's not going to be Randy Rosarina. Like, yeah. Stop the breaks. I don't think it's that big of a risk, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I do think you're right. Like now I don't really know what you get for him. So I think some people are mad they're running out Tyler O'Neill every day. I think it makes total sense because like he's I'm really like, happy. actually up his value now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting. I think as long as O'Neill's not plan A or not 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 plan A, as long as he's not the only plan next year in left field. I'm fine with it. O'Neill's won mm-hmm. gloves before he's finished in the top 10 of MVP MVP voting and honestly deserved more consideration that year than he got in 2021. Yeah. O'Neill is a truly game changing talent when everything's right. And we're seeing him produce really, really well since he came back. Now he's made of glass and obviously <laughs> that's hurting him, right? Like his knee is sore and he misses four games. No one wants that out of a player, but at the same time, O'Neill is the type of guy who really could put it together. I don't think in Dylan Carlson's best season, I hate to say this because I like Dylan Carlson, but I don't think his best season in his entire career will approach Tyler O'Neill's 2021. I don't think he has a ceiling anywhere near that player. And I think O'Neill does. We've seen him do it. And I think too, like if you have, assuming you're keeping Alec Burleson, that is an amazing fourth outfield option. Or even you can, you can even view view Tyler as the fourth outfield option if you want to like, if you've got and you've got Brendan Donovan too, who can play the outfield, I really don't think it's that risky to have him on the roster. So for people who think that you just need to get rid of him for nothing, that I'm like, why? I think you're just asking to get bit in the butt by that. Carlson, I'm a little bit more lenient and giving up on now because I just at some point you got to like you have and you can't keep giving more chances to every guy. Yeah, so you got to kind of pick and choose a little bit. So and teams do value him. I yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the market is for him this offseason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals have, like, six outfielders, and you got to pick between, like, O'Neal, Carlson, uh, Newt Barr, Walker, Donovan, and, like, Burleson. So, I mean, my preferred outfield, I think, is Donovan in left, um, Newt Barr in center, and Walker in right field. But all those options pretty much play, and I think the only untouchable ones right now should be Walker and, and Newt Barr. Um, New Bar leads the entire team in war right now, and Walker has shown, oh, yeah. like, obviously the potential to be like one of the best players in the entire league. So, um, I mean, go go and see what you can get for for any of those guys. Don't sell too low on any of them, obviously. But if you can go and get like real starting pitching for any of those outfielders, I think you should you should definitely do it. Yeah. Also, random tidbit: I feel like people talk about how can you have an Alec Burleson in the outfield? What are you doing defense wise? He's at a negative two DRS this year, and Jordan Walker's at negative fifteen. Like if we, I know there's a lot of people who don't think Walker should be out there either, but like Burleson could probably be about a league average defender in the outfield, which isn't ideal, but like you can play with that. It's Walker's defense you can't play with right now. And that's something that, again, you give him the reps because he'll improve. So I think 
some people get really weird about the idea of Burleson being a real option out there, but if his, the way his bat's playing, you want that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I don't understand the Bur- like people wanting to move on from Burleson. We got to pump the brakes on that. He was just drafted in, you know, uh, very in the same draft as Walker, right? Burleson actually debuts before Walker. Yep. Very impressive how quickly he worked his way through the system. I get that he's older, a little bit more experienced, but still, Burleson hit it every stop in the minors, mashed through AAA last year, and basically broke down down the door and forced his way onto the radar. Like when they took Burleson, there's no way they were thinking, oh yeah, this guy's gonna you know debut for us two years from now. That was not the plan with him. Burleson has forced himself onto the radar, and that's the type of thing that you have to respect in a player like him. So I have no idea why people want to move on from him right now. It's like okay, you know. Yes, he might be a bit of a one-dimensional player. He's probably like a Juan Yepes plus, but Juan Yepes is probably a decent player on a lot of teams. So that makes Burleson a good to really good player on a lot of teams mm-hmm. at some point in his career. And like people talk about how Dylan Carlson hasn't gotten enough opportunities to prove himself. And like Burleson's gotten a little bit more at bats, but not much yeah. more. Like the fact that he has yeah. continued to improve while being a part-time player and a guy that can go right. a week without playing sometimes is really impressive. So and Marbles talked about that, where like they sent Walker down because they felt like he needed to be playing all the time to get better. But like Burleson's the kind of guy who can get in the cage and work on things and get better. Yeah. And so that's a really that's a great quality to have in a player because there's some guys you like his pinch hit numbers aren't good, but that's not the point of a backup player. A backup player isn't as important as their pinch hit yeah. stats. It's how can they fill in in the everyday lineup. Yes. And Burleson's been great. Totally agree. Now on that quick thing, probably stop pinch hitting Burleson because it's not working and yeah. him have spot starts instead of pinch hits. Right. I don't think he has a single pinch hit this whole year. Like it's been, yeah. it's been really brutal out of that spot, but maybe that's just not who he is as a player and they need to stop trying to force him into that. One more thing that's going to get us into our last little segment here. Um, and it starts with an argument as to why the Cardinals probably need to move on from at least Edmund or Carlson this year. The Cardinals have a ton of guys knocking down the door, ready to play position player wise. Um, you know, we've seen and, and guys coming up right now. And that leads us into a little bit of discussion about the prospect list that just got released. Um, the outfield situation is about to get a lot more crowded because by the time Victor Scott is ready, he needs to be in center field because it looks like he might be a true 80 grade defender. Um, he's a true 80 grade runner. Victor Scott has like 75 stolen bases this year. Um, he's like a super powered version of John Jay. <laughs> he's he's going to be awesome. And that hit tool looks like it might play. So, you know, you got you guys like him. Let's talk about a couple of those guys. Josh, is there anyone who's really impressed you this year? Yeah, I think Victor Scott, number one, is oh, yeah. well, Victor Scott, the second, is my number one yes. that's impressed me this year, um, which I talked to him on my podcast, Redbird Rundown, recently. He's a great guy. Like, that's that's he's got the intangibles of them. People speak super highly of him. Um, there's just a bunch of interesting things from that conversation that are interesting. He's, um, uh, developed a relationship with Cardinal legend Vince Coleman, who everyone knows who stole over 100 bases in a year multiple times. They talk strategy a lot. Um, He's a guy who works on his craft. He talked about how he's a line drive hitter, but he's trying to add more power, not in the way that people get afraid of, where it's like, why are you changing your swing to hit more home runs? He wants to hit more doubles and triples. He wants to power through the ball at that line drive more so that he brings that um, slug up a little bit. But he's the kind of guy who talks about he gets on first base and he he makes the pitcher think, right? He's he's getting oh, yeah. the um, the guy behind him more fastballs, and then he's throwing the pitcher off because they basically know he's going to steal. And he turns singles into doubles and doubles into triples, not when like actual, but he steals those bases. And so 
he is like super exciting. And then he brings that defense in center field that people are really craving. So I think, I think best case scenario for him, middle of next year, you could see an outfield where he's the center fielder, new bars wow. on left, walkers and right. And that becomes a really good defensive outfield, assuming walkers about league average at that point. Yeah. And then you have a guy that could be an actual, like if he's your number nine hitter, that's super dangerous coming oh, back yeah. around long-term could be a leadoff hitter. Just really like him a lot. Um, Thomas Segesi, I believe is Segesi is the last name. He's been raking. Um, yeah. So he's another guy where um, I think he's been like unfairly called Brendan Donovan, where it's like that's not really his game, but he's versatile and then has a really great bat and is like playing above what people grade him as. And so he's someone that's really impressed me this year. Um, there's a variety of arms in the system that I think have been interesting this year. Um, but I think those are the two names that really stand out to me. And then one that I'm really high on, but we haven't seen pitch is Takoa Roby. Takoa yes. Roby. Um, he's a guy that seems like like the Cardinals weren't going to be able to get a surefire top pitching prospect this deadline, yeah. but they got a guy who could become one if he proves he's healthy. And yeah. so Roby's a guy where I'm like, he could be, hence Roby. Like that's, and that's yeah. a big deal to the organization so those are some guys i've really enjoyed this year uh, but in general i feel like the system's been very interesting this year and i've really liked how it's developed any names that stand out to you guys i mean i think for me it's it's nick dunn i wish we were talking about him True. more i've i've been pounding that drum it's time for nick dunn to get some sort of opportunity right he, he they they left him in double a and i I'd never understand why the Cardinals act the way they do with specific prospects. <laughs> like right now it's Michael Curiali who they just refuse to promote, even though he's posting a 900 OPS for the second straight year uh, now with single a, and they just randomly decide to be aggressive with some guys to show faith and then ignore other players. Dunn kind of got that second form of treatment, which is a little frustrating, but now uh, he was so good that they could not ignore him anymore. And at 26, um, he is showing power. He's showing like a lot of gap to gap power, which is really great. Um, he's running well. He plays solid enough defense, has a bit of versatility, but really he's hitting like 350 right now at AAA. Um, and so it's time, in my opinion, like what is Palacios doing for the 40 man roster that Dunn couldn't do a lot better? I know that if you take Palacios off, he could get claimed, but you just claimed him from Cleveland. If you're not willing to play him over Modder, clearly the value just isn't there. Um, so maybe it's time to switch him out with Dunn and give him a chance down the stretch. Um, and then obviously Prieto since coming over has shown additional power more than he showed in Baltimore's system, which is really encouraging for the Cardinals. Um, yeah. And, and then Bernal to me is a really exciting catching prospect. I wish got a little bit more publicity. He could be really, really good someday. He has the most complete profile in my opinion of any catcher in the system outside of maybe Herrera who there's no reason Herrera is not on every prospect list right now because technically he still has that status. I think people just forgot about him. Um, and that, you know, MLB showing last year wasn't great. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Cardinals have so many players coming up that there is an argument to trade a lot of these guys. You know, don't be afraid to trade prospects. Don't be afraid to trade big league talent because there's a lot coming up. And the Cardinals, especially under Flores, have shown time and again that the system produces talent. It's a productive pipeline. So if you trade a guy like Edmund, it's fine. You have three very intriguing middle infield prospects who are all at double A AA or triple A in Jay-Z, Prieto, and Dunn. Any of those three could probably hit and at least provide more offensive power than Edmund. Um, so, you know, you rely on one of those guys hitting. It's like shooting fish in a barrel with the Cardinals right now in terms of position. <laughs> There's so many. Someone's going to hit. 
Uh, you have to assume that's true in the outfield as well, which in my opinion, since Carlson hasn't hit, that's why it's okay to probably ship him out. If the if it's crowded right now, add in, you know, add in Scott and add in Antico and some of these other guys in the upper minors, it just gets worse. And all of these guys have loud tools. So, you know, I think it's time for the Cardinals to probably make some decisions this offseason. I'm much less hesitant to trade guys when I think about the system. I actually completely forgot about Tommy Edmond and he was a guy that's been really productive for us um, in the outfield even. Um, And I think, yeah, because I forgot about him, I think, yeah, uh, we have a lot more talent than I thought them. We can, we can trade. Um, He's a guy that I've been talking about that we should trade. Something that'll be interesting to watch with that is it's like they want, they're going to want some kind of Mason win insurance in case it goes poorly where they have to send him down. So that doesn't mean they can't trade Edmund though. Like they can Mm. sign a guy to a one-year deal to be a backup and, it's not ideal, but like if Mason Wynn, <laughs> oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. If uh, Mason Wynn doesn't work out, though, that's like a big issue. So like I think they need, like at this point, they need to bank on he's going to be at least a competent shortstop. And if yeah. not, then you go to your plan B. I want to be holding on to Edmund just as insurance for that. I agree. But if if one of Carlson or Edmund or, st- or both Carlson and Edmund are on the roster next year, I think that just doesn't make sense because not that they fill the same role, but I think they're going to be like, both two guys that aren't going to really play enough next year at yeah. this rate. And so I think one, helping one of them on the bench as insurance makes sense, but both is where I think things get really wonky. Yeah, I agree. I think if you have to have one, it's Edmund. Like you said, the the depth at shortstop isn't where it needs to be right now, but that's fine because there are shortstops in the system. Yeah. Uh, like Mejia with plenty of talent, intrigue, and upside to someday, uh, but they're not ready yet. They're too low. Um, but yeah, Carlson probably like you just have so many outfielders, you know, Burleson is, is probably a better hitter than Carlson right now. And he has way less experience. That's a really interesting thing to say about him. Um, but it's true. Carlson. And if you, if you can't hit right-handed pitching, that's like 70% of the pitchers you're going to face. Exactly. You know, even when the Cardinals try to platoon him, you can't face a lefty every time. And most relievers are right-handed. So even if it's a lefty starter, um, but yeah, we're running a little long here. So I think we're going to wrap it up right now. Josh, thanks so much for joining us today. It was awesome to just chat Cardinals, chat some you know Japanese pitchers coming stateside maybe, and then get some prospect talk from a guy who knows the system very very well. Um, you know, just uh, another great episode. And yeah, just Cardinals fans enjoy the last couple of weeks. Hopefully, we play some young guys. Um, you know, be wishing Stephen Matz a quick recovery. It'd be great to see him again this year. But if not, understand. You know, Josh provided some insight as to why. And then enjoy the last few moments of Adam Wainwright's career as a Cardinal. Hopefully it extends all the way through the end of the year, but you know, nothing is promised uh, as he is showing us right now. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. We'll see you.